Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Throughout the years, I've had many very interesting conversations with people concerning the subject of the Christian life, what the Christian life is really about, what it should look like, and how that should be a reflection in our daily lives. Quite often, people take the approach of trying to be a good person before their God, and they believe that if they can be a very good person, then that would be a reflection of how holy they are because of their appreciation for what God has done for them, or perhaps because they're trying to obtain a better standing with Him in some way. Perhaps they're trying to obtain some rewards as a result of their good works or their obedience or their lack of sin in their lives. People are generally motivated by different things. But when it comes to living the Christian life or living life in general, for the most part, people are looking for a system of law or a set of rules to live by, believing that if they just live according to these rules, that in some way everything will work out just fine. That what people need to do is they just need to identify the things that are right, the things that are good. They need to do those things that are right, those things that are good, and they need to avoid those things that are evil and do not do those things that are wrong. And if they live that way, then everything will work out just fine in some way. I believe that the Law of Moses was God's contribution to this great effort of humanity to try to live a holy and righteous life, that it was his contribution to mankind's greatest efforts to live in accordance with knowing what is good and evil and just simply trying to be good people. I believe that that was the codification of the Law of Moses. I believe it was his contribution to mankind's greatest efforts concerning that. But what I think is very evident, what the evidence really shows, is that we're not doing so well as a people. I don't think that people have done very well living their lives like that. I do believe that many people have convinced themselves that they're doing well, and I can understand that, but I personally am not very impressed. I just don't see a change of heart happening in people. I mean, I know a lot of people who have labored most of their life very hard trying to be good people. I have met a lot of people like that, and I know people like that, and many of them are close to me still, but I, I want to tell you, quite honestly, that I don't see a change of heart happening in them at all. I mean, they live on the basis of what their responsibilities are, or what their rights are, or what other people's rights are, or what other people's responsibilities are. They're always making comparisons with other people. And they live that way. They live on the basis of what's good and evil in such a way that they really do think that that is going to make them better people. And I just don't see it. I mean, I can see that people are making a good effort, and I can be impressed by that to a certain extent. But honestly, I see no change in a person's heart. I see no change in their hearts at all. And I know a lot of people who I could easily describe as being heartless, absolutely heartless. I mean, they just don't have any real interest in humanity or the feelings of others. They really don't. I mean, they certainly do not want to offend people. They don't want to violate 
the feelings of others. They don't want to be mean. But on the other hand, they have no capacity, no capacity at all to be loving, to be kind, to be patient. They just don't have it. They don't have any capacity to be forgiving people. They're very unforgiving people. And the reason why is very obvious, to me it is, and that is because they have no forgiveness in their heart, and they have no love in their heart, and the reason why is because they do not know their God, the only one who has true forgiveness, the only one who has true love in his heart that he can share with us so that we can have that to share with others. And without it, it really is quite empty. It's very empty, and it can be very depressing because you don't want it to be that way. But that's the way it is. That's just simply the way our life is with people who do not know the Lord. If they do not know the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, the one who our God has sent, if they do not know him, then there's only so far they can go in their relationships with the people who they come in contact with. There's only so much they can do. There's only so far they can go. I've met many people who have pursued a life of holiness with great sincerity. People will identify the law, either the law of Moses or a law that they have created in their own minds, or they will extract parts of the law of Moses that they think they can apply in their lives. And I've met these people and I've talked with them and I've asked them the question. This is a very common question for me to ask people. And that is, what do you really hope the law is going to do for you? I mean, what do you really expect to accomplish by living in obedience to the commandments. Simple things like, do not murder and do not commit adultery. I mean, do you really believe that if you've been informed concerning murder and adultery, that somehow that's going to stop you from doing it? I mean, is it really going to make that big of a difference just because you know that that is not what God wants in your life? I mean, is that what you're going to do? You're going to tell your wife or you're going to tell your husband that you do not commit adultery because God said that it is a violation of his law. Is that really how you live? And you know what? Honestly, I found a lot of people who actually do live that way. And I feel sorry for them and their spouses as well, that they really believe that, that they really believe that the reason why they do not violate the commandments is because they're afraid that God will be disappointed with them in some way. It has nothing to do with their heart. It has nothing to do with the fact that they don't really want to do that. It has nothing to do with that at all. You know, I don't need a commandment written on stone to tell me that it's wrong to murder people or commit adultery or covet things. I don't need that commandment. I mean, I remember when I was lost, and I certainly did, but I am saved. I have been resurrected from the dead. The living God dwells within me, and he testifies in my spirit and my heart that these things don't have any place in my life. But the reason why I don't do those things is because I don't want to. And the reason why I don't want to do those things is because I am loved by my God. That's why. But for those who are not loved by their God, I can understand why these things would be a struggle for them. And I can understand why they would want to encourage themselves and other people to avoid keeping these commandments because, you know what, I believe that they... Deep down inside, they really struggle with these things. They, they have to. I don't know how they could avoid it. But you know what? The law is useless when it comes to these things. I mean, I ask people, what do you hope to gain from your repentance and obedience? And they really believe 
that they're going to gain something from that, that they're going to gain some right standing with God, or perhaps the Lord will bless them in some way because of that. But these things are totally useless. The Lord himself said that they are useless, as he spoke through the writer of the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 7, verse 18. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18, it is written, For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment, because of its weakness and uselessness. It really is weak. I mean, it's very weak. And it really is useless. I can say that with deep conviction. I say that because I know the difference between trying to live a life according to the commandments. And I know how it never changed my heart. Don't get me wrong. I I remember what it was like to live a life according to the commandments, believing that they would eventually change my heart. I believed that they would. I thought that they would. I was told that they would. But they never did. They never changed my heart. When I discovered the new covenant and the gospel and the new life that I have in Christ Jesus, I discovered his forgiveness for me and I understood it. And I discovered the inheritance that I've received as a result of his death. When I grew in a knowledge and understanding of the grace of God, I found that he was actually changing my heart separate from these commandments. And so when I make the comparison between living a life under law and living a life under grace, I can say with deep conviction that the commandments are useless. However, I know a lot of other people who do not believe that and will not believe that. And I can understand why. I mean, I can fully understand why. As I have spoken with people concerning this, And I've asked them about their understanding of the grace of God. They tell me things like, well, I once believed things like that, or I was once a part of that kind of movement in Christianity, and I went to these conferences and seminars and I read these books. But you know, when I ask them, did they, did they really embrace the truth of that? I have never been convinced personally that people have really believed the truth concerning that. Subtly, in the back of their mind, for the most part, they were more concerned about how they were going to control the flesh of other people. In general, people who were in their families or other people who were close to them, they were too concerned about how to control other people around them that they were not willing to embrace the grace of God for themselves. Because they certainly didn't want other people to find out about it because they were afraid that those people would use the grace of God as an excuse to continue sinning. And you know what? They might do that. I understand that. But personally, I think that that is no reason to lie to people. I don't think that that's a reason to believe things that are not true either. I don't believe that. I think that that is the cost, that that is the price that we must pay, that some people will use the grace of God for a purpose that it wasn't intended for, and that there are a few others who will. And for the sake of those who will believe the truth concerning the grace of God, who will believe the truth concerning the law and the commandments. For the sake of those few, I am willing to accept those many who will use the grace of God for a purpose that God never intended for, who will use it as an excuse to continue in their sin. I am willing to accept that. I believe that the Lord is willing to accept that in order to at least have a few people who will truly draw near to him on the basis of truth. Because without those few, there definitely would be none. Absolutely none. And so it's a price worth paying. But you really have to ask the question, what do you hope the commandments are going to do for you? 
That question has to truly be asked, because according to the word of God, they will do nothing. They are totally useless. They can be useful and they are strong for a certain purpose, and I don't think that that is what the writer of Hebrews was intending to discuss at this time. Let me describe it this way. When it comes to bringing a person to the point of discovering how hopeless and how empty they truly are, and the fact that they will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven outside of the grace and mercy of God, the commandments are very useful and they're very strong. But when it comes to drawing near to your God, they are definitely weak and useless. I do believe that the commandments have a very important purpose in our lives. I do believe that the Lord gave us the law and that we should use it for the purpose that he gave it for. And that has to do with leading us to the point of discovering our full, complete depravity so that we can receive his sufficiency. It is to lead us to a point where we recognize and understand that there is no way that we will ever have a relationship with our God in any way whatsoever so that we will embrace the new covenant as the alternative. But aside from that, unfortunately, there are many people who just don't believe that that's what the commandments were given for. They just don't believe that. And when it comes to people like this, all I can say is is that you will in no way draw near to God. Because that's what it says in verse 19. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, it is written, And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And that means that if you are not going to enter into this better hope, you will in no way draw near to God. It simply cannot happen. In order to draw near to God, you must be separated from the commandments. You must be separated from all commands, all laws. There is no place for any of that. Because if you're going to draw near to Him, you have to come near to Him, and you have to stay near to Him. And the only way you're going to stay near to Him is if you're going to be associated with him, if you're going to relate to him, if he's going to relate to you on the basis of who he is and on the basis of what he's done. And that's the point concerning his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness and his understanding concerning the world that he has created, the world that we are a part of. That's what's so vital concerning this. Because unless you're going to receive what you need from him, When it comes to love and acceptance, then there's no way that he's going to change your heart. It just cannot happen. There's no way for that to happen. Continuing in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20, it says, And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath, through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. In verse 22 it says, a better covenant. Well, if he said a better covenant, then wouldn't you think that it would be different from the old one, from the other one? I mean, how can you say that the new covenant is a better covenant if it's not different from the other covenant, which is not a better covenant? There's no way to do that. You cannot logically say that the new covenant is some kind of reinstitution of the old or that it's a revamping of the old in some way. You can't say that and also say a better covenant. 
These covenants are totally different, and Jesus has become the guarantee of another one. And if you don't know that one, then you have not entered into it. I'll speak about this covenant in more detail in the coming broadcasts. Continuing in verse 23, it says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. Well, death will certainly do that to you, and so there needed to be a number of them. But Jesus, in verse 24, But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, for him to say that Jesus always lives to make intercession for his people, then that means that if there is any accusation brought before God in any way whatsoever, he will deal with that on your behalf. He will be the one to intercede. And if he's the one who's going to intercede, then there is no reason for anyone to ever be concerned concerning any accusations. There is no place for accusations anymore. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he died for our sins. In verse 26, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He offered up himself to deal with all sins once and for all. If all sins have been dealt with once and for all, then which sins could be held against you? Well, the only way you can identify a sin is if you have a commandment, if you have a law of some kind. And if you have no law, if you have no commandment, then you have no sin. You have no way to define it. Now, this is real because he died for our sins. And this is certainly not to say that sin is okay. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm not saying this to justify sin. I'm saying this for the purpose of setting you free from living a life under commandments because there is another way of living. There is another way of life, and that is a life based on drawing near to your God to be loved by him. Because I have found, without question, this is real to me. I have found that if you will be loved by your God, he will change your heart, and you will say no to sin because the temptation of sin will no longer be attractive to you. Most of the temptations of sins, the temptations that we struggle with, have to do with the needs that we have in our heart. You know, we get tempted in a certain way, and the way is, the temptation is, is the temptation that you'll feel loved or that you'll feel accepted. Every sin can be described in this way. It can be described as a combination of searching for love or acceptance or meaning or purpose in your life, safety and security, respect. Every sin can be described as the heartfelt pursuit to feel fulfilled through the commission of sin, not through the commission of sin itself, but through what it's promising you. But if you will be loved by your God and accepted by your God and receive his understanding and receive his purpose for you and receive his safety and his respect for you and these other things, if you will receive all that you need from him, then it's easy for you to say no to the temptations of life. And that's how it works. That's how this is real. 
This is how it becomes real and why this is such a better covenant. It is a covenant that will change a person's heart, whereas the other covenant could do nothing more than govern somebody's flesh. It could do nothing to change a person's heart. It will do nothing to change a person's heart, no matter how sincere a person may be. This is a better covenant because it truly deals with sin. It truly deals with sin in the sense of forgiveness, and it truly deals with the temptations of sin that we struggle with in our hearts. And the other covenant did nothing for that. The commandments did nothing for that. The law did nothing for that, and it never will. It wasn't given for that reason. It was given for the reason of stirring up more sin and driving us further to the grace of God, to the mercy of God. That was what it was given for. I did a series of programs concerning this. I titled them Overcoming Sin. I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs. But again, in verse 27, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did once for all when he offered up himself. And you've got to believe that. I mean, you have to. Otherwise, you don't know this better covenant. You have to believe You have to trust that the sin issue is over. That when he died, it was once for all. And that means once, and that means all. It truly is over. In verse 28, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. He has been made perfect. He has revealed the perfection of our God. And through his indwelling presence within us, the perfection of our God can further be manifested as he changes who we are as individuals in the way that he sees fit in order to govern and direct us through his indwelling presence as we live our daily lives and are confronted with the circumstances of life that we find in the world. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 it says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, referring to the Lord Jesus. Now, speaking of being saved forever, those who draw near to God through him. First, you have to be drawn near to God through the Lord Jesus. And he draws you near to him because he offered up himself so that he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore. That is what enables him to draw you near to him. If he doesn't hold your sins against you, he can draw you near. If he does hold your sins against you, then you are separated from your God and you cannot draw near to God. So he died for all of your sins once and for all so that he can draw you near. And if you will believe the truth that the sin issue is over, then you can be drawn near to your God. But if you do not believe that, if you still believe that he holds your sins against you in any way whatsoever then you're done. You're finished. You're finished. It's not about him being finished. It's about you being finished because now you are finished to the extent where you will never draw near to him until you believe the truth that it truly is over. It truly is completed. And for those who draw near to him, he is able to save them forever. Now, that does not mean that once you draw near to God, now you have to get more sin out of your life so that perhaps he can save you. That means he has saved you, and he has saved you in such a way that you will never be unsaved. 
He died for your sins. This is the gospel. He died for your sins so that he could restore to you the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam. And through that restoration, through you receiving the free gift of the Holy Spirit, you are resurrected, you are made alive by the indwelling presence of his life, the life of God. And through that restoration and subsequent resurrection, you are saved from the condition of being spiritually dead. And because there is no sin left unforgiven, there is no sin that will ever cause the Holy Spirit to ever depart from within you ever again. And so by definition, the Holy Spirit indwelling within you permanently is the restoration of a life that had been lost in Adam permanently. So you have been resurrected permanently, which means that you have been saved forever, that you can never lose your salvation because that is the very definition of salvation. You see, when people start arguing about salvation being salvation in the context of the forgiveness of sins, then you have to wonder if you're ever saved because you still sin. If you if you continue to sin, then you have to wonder, am I really forgiven? Am I not forgiven? Well, we all continue to sin, and that does not mean that it's okay. I'm just stating the fact. I'm just stating the reality of that. And so it's necessary for him to no longer hold our sins against us, not only in the past, but also in the present, and also those that are going to occur in the future. It's necessary for him to deal with all of that. And he did deal with all of that on the cross. It was necessary. Otherwise, you would never have salvation. And if you ever found any way to obtain it or to gain it, then you would surely lose it very soon thereafter. But that is not salvation. Salvation is the restoration of life and the forgiveness of sins is what makes salvation possible because there is no sin left unforgiven. So again, in verse 24, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for you, and that is necessary when you are here on earth. That is not what you need when you are in heaven. When you go to heaven, sin will definitely be over in your life. It is when you are here on earth that this salvation is of meaning, because he intercedes for you perpetually, constantly. He always lives to make intercession for you, and that is why You have been saved forever. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net.